Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Listen, guys, um, if you don't mind, I've got a question which I'm going to kick off with, if that's okay. Um, How long do I wait before having further GA surgery is the first question. Not sure. Hi, Olivia. Olivia's here. Not sure the context of this question. Um, How long do I wait before having further GA surgery? So obviously had GA surgery and wants more GA surgery. Right. Well, I guess it depends, and I don't want to look like I'm being vague here. So, uh, but it does depend. It depends on what is the cause. What, why are you having GA surgery? So, if you're having GA surgery because you've fallen off your bike and you've ruptured your spleen, then you can have surgery straight away. Even if you had a GA this morning, you know, if you had an operation this morning and then you get on the way home, crash your car, and rupture your spleen, you can have another GA straight away. So. Um, so it depends on what the surgery is for so let's assume it's not ruptured spleen surgery i think we can on i think we're all agreed in this forum we've not got anyone who wants a a, a ruptured spleen um, to be removed so we're assuming it's elective cosmetic surgery let's just make that assumption how long before i mean so um in that case it would depend on how well you've healed after the first ga surgery because I'm assuming that one. Right? Um, so if you've had one GA, then really you want to be properly healed. Ideally, uh, again, it depends on the cause. If you have a hematoma and need to go to theatre, you can. But if you're having another GA elective procedure, you want to be healed properly from your first GA elective procedure. So that is a minimum of three months. I normally say because um, that is sort of normal for things to sort of start. Hi, Christian. Good to see you. Um, hope life is treating you well. Hope to see you at some meeting sometime if we ever go to meetings ever again. Um, so minimum of three months, but it depends on how well you heal, heal from that first surgery. So the classic example of this is your tattoo, your tattoo serial excision, where people need several excisions of large tattoos, and obviously they're keen to get it all off in one go. But if it hasn't quite healed properly not properly but if the scar is still quite firm at three months it's a false economy to do surgery at three months and sometimes you better wait waiting four five even six months for the scar to mature everything to soften because then you'll be able to it's a lot easier to do the second surgery because everything's softer so um you know the two months the longer you wait the better basically you know for everything to settle from the first surgery six maybe even 12 months is the ideal Again, it depends on the context and what you're having the surgery for. So um, it depends is the answer, but uh, three to 12 months, I guess, is the range, if that's helpful. Um, Wait for three to 12 months before having further surgery, but get everything healed properly. You probably won't want to have it before everything's healed properly anyway, it goes without saying. Olivia, uh, Claire, Elizabeth, I've had an email to say that you're starting surgery again. That was from me, Claire, I sent that. That was about the surgery during coronavirus. uh, is this in hospital with GAs or still minor surgery under local? Well, minor surgery under local has been okay. XZDS5 is in the house. Hi. Uh, 
minor surgery on the local. We've been doing that since um, June, so uh, that's fine. Uh, GA surgery is problematic because it relies on the hospitals, and the hospitals are being used by the NHS. But we are starting to well. I don't want to overegg it. We've got one list, so let's be realistic here. We've got one list in October, but still, come on, better than none. So it is starting. It's great that we've got a list, and hopefully we'll get more lists uh, for GA surgery. But the exciting thing in between local anaesthetic and GA is the local insulation. So we are starting to do local insulation cases. Um, a bit more often than GA cases because local insulation cases can be done at the clinic, not my clinic. I work at another clinic to get those done where they've got an operating theatre which is set up for GA uh, for local insulation, which works really well uh, as long as you're um, on board with it. And for sort of well, I guess smaller cases, things like breast augmentations and, and breast surgery and things. Um, I guess the big one is, is your tummy tucks. Your tummy tucks, I think, can be done under local insulation. I have done them under local insulation. Um, well, done one under local insulation, so I don't want to make out so I've done loads, but and it was fine, but it's sort of pushing the boundaries. So um, but still we are trying to ramp it up and we're hoping the private hospitals have said they're gonna be back to normal in January. They said the NHS contracts will finish in December. And they'll be back to normal capacity in January. However, obviously they are um, beholden to the situation, as are we all. So if things get worse in terms of Corona, then they will, you know, potentially not be able to um, do that. But that's where we're hoping for. So Claire, yeah. Oh, sorry, I'm on this question. Claire, um, I am hoping that we will be. That well, the answer is yes. We are starting surgery, and hopefully that will be um likely to go live on the wrong one anyway um anyway uh minor technical issues but that's fine um so yes so olivia god i was just cleaning out my kitchen cupboards and moth lava infestation fine five worms can't cope oh wow with a moth lava emoji. Wow, there's a moth lava emoji. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. Um, so yeah, how do I know, question number two, how, well, three actually, if you include the um, surgery of GA, how do I know whether I've got a mole or a skin tag? Um, the big difference between the two is that, um, let's, let's think about this. Is that well? A skin tag sticks out. A skin tag is usually a pedunculated thing in that it's got a stalk, and it sort of sticks out. And it's usually on areas of friction. So your neck, where your collar, your armpit, you often get them. And there are areas of friction of the skin, and these little pedunculated pieces of skin, and they simply need a snip with the scissors. That they sometimes don't even need a stitch. Um, very minor thing to do you don't need to send them off the histology they're quite a minor thing a mole is usually usually pigmented so uh, so do you do mole skin tag removals at your clinic thanks for asking it zds5 yes we do bit of advertising there we do mole and skin tag removals at the clinic 
Um, thanks for that. It's almost like you're part of the team, XZDS5. Thank you. Yes. Um, so a mole is usually pigmented in terms of it being brown. You can get flesh colored sort of moles on the face, especially slightly raised ones when you catch when you shave, called intradermal nua, nevi. Um, but they've got a sort of wider base. They're not like these narrow, pedunculated things. And um, and they're usually skin color. They usually have to be sent off to histology, uh, whereas skin tags often don't. In a way, it's a little bit academic because it doesn't matter whether you call your thing a mole or a skin tag. If you want it removed, we can remove it. Doesn't matter if it's a mole. Call it what you want to call it. Let's just get it off, you know, if you want it off. That is. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, yeah, won't worry too much about it. Whatever. I mean, Olivia had a skin tag, armpit, and eyelid as a kid. Small surgery. There you go. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, good question. Thank you for that. Uh, hope I've, I hope I've done it justice. Right, this question Can you remove tattoo using skin graft? Um, you know what? Damn. Damn, I gotta show it. I can show it on Instagram. How do I show it on Instagram? Oh, I haven't prepared this properly. Right, I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna blag it. Okay, well, let's show the Facebook people the picture because we have set up to show it in Facebook. I can do better than that. I can do better than that. Oh, it's not, it's not, it can't be better than that. Right, anyway, this person's let me show their photo. Sorry, I'm just seeing which the best. So this person's let me show their photo. So um, what's that? Uh, right. Uh, I will get the photo. I'm, I'm I'm on my phone now, so I'm hoping that um, the Instagram's still working. I'm assuming the camera of the phone still works. Does it when you're on the phone? Um, uh, they do. Here we go. So this third person got. A, a tattoo on their hand which i will show you team on instagram in a minute and they have asked for it to be removed and i've said it will take i can't remember what i said now what did i say i said it will take um several goes i said it will take because it's here and the problem with here is that um is that it's it's you might say oh look, you can pinch it but then when you make a fist you need movement so you might be, be able to pinch it but when you pin when you make a fist it goes tight so it's actually quite tight i think i said three i can't remember what i said three or four goes to remove that so i think this person has come back to us saying i'm you know whatever i can't remember what it was now but i'm sort of busy or something so can it be done in one go with a skin graft now the answer that to that and we often get that with people with tattoos can it be done one go with a skin graft and the answer to that is yes, but probably not by me, because I don't like doing skin grass for tattoos, because you're usually doing tattoos. I say usually, usually doing tattoos for um, for cosmetic reasons. And if you um, if you If you are doing it for cosmetic reasons, and right, that's it. I'm going to take matters into my own hand. All right, Instagram, I'm going to, where's it gone? Have I turned it off? Is it still on? Oh, pause due to poor connection. 
What's happened? Sorry. What happened to Instagram then? Sorry if it went. I was trying to find the photo. Anyway, let's show you a photo, guys. I'll tell you what, can I open up? Can you see it? Can you see it there? Yeah. That's the photo. Um, oh, God. Oh, God. All right, anyway. A photo it's a tattoo on the hand fyi um so um so the skin graft you're usually doing it for um cosmetic reasons and a skin graft cosmetically will look worse than the tattoo and i know that sometimes it's not for cosmetic reasons i know that sometimes it's work and sometimes it's um sort of emotionalized attachment to the tattoo that reasons people want it removed but still there's often or pretty much always a cosmetic element to it. And you, you know, in my um, experience, a skin graft would look worse than the tattoo. And uh, that you know, I think is a bitter pill to swallow that if you are, ha are having a tattoo removed and you end up with a thing that looks worse. And there's a, I think there's an image that skin grafts look good, look like normal skin. They don't, they don't look good, really. They don't look as good as normal skin. And you really use them for skin cancers and things like that and skin resurfacing when you have to when people got skin lost due to trauma and uh, personally i wouldn't recommend a skin graft and certainly not on that hand on that area of your hand it's um you know this repeated trauma on that area of your hand and skin grafts thinner skin than normal skin and so um it would break down and be uncomfortable and it would be tight and it might limit the movement and there's all sorts of reasons why i wouldn't do a skin graft on that tattoo on the hand and in fact as a general rule most tattoos, people with these massive tattoos on their arms and things like that, I wouldn't do a skin graft because the skin graft looks, you know, will probably look as, well, not as bad. I don't know how, how bad your tattoo looks, but it will look bad. So I usually would do skin, serial excision is my go-to for, for um, tattoo removal rather than skin grafts. So can you do it? Yes, it can be done. I tend not to. Um, Kim Allen. Could you please explain? Oh, let's get the tattoo off, guys. Come on. <clears throat> Could you please explain the difference between over and under the muscle regarding implants? Does it feel or look different depending on which you have? Um, very good question, Kim. Very good question. If it all works all out all right, Kim, they will look the same. You cannot necessarily tell by looking at someone whether the implants are under or over the muscle. So if it all works out all right, it looks and, and will probably feel the same. You're always aiming for it to look good and feel good. So, um, however, there are pros and cons of both of them. And this is the problem. There are bad things that can happen if you put it under the muscle. And there are bad things that can happen if you put it over the muscle. So if a bad thing happens, it will look different. Right? So, for instance, if you put it over the muscle, on top of the muscle, you can get, you're more likely to get rippling and see the edges of the implant and see the ripples of the implant. So that will look worse because you'll see the rippling. Now, you don't aim to see the rippling, but if that is a risk with putting them on the muscle. If you're very slim, you worry that you might be able to see the edges of the implant and get rippling if you put them on over the muscle. So that will indeed look different to none of the muscle. Well, you, you might say to me, hey, hold on a minute, I don't want a rippling, for God's sake. 
I don't want Ripley. Well, no one wants Ripley. So put it under the muscle then. Yeah, going to put it under the muscle because I don't want Ripley. Two things. Number one thing, the muscle only goes here. So it only covers it here. Yeah. The muscle goes like that. It goes from the shoulder to your, to, to your chest bone here. So it doesn't cover it here. It doesn't cover the implant here. So sometimes you can still get the ring lateral even when you put it under the muscle. And number second thing is that um, there are bad things with putting it under the muscle. So if you put it under muscle, they can go wide or they can go high or you can get animation deformities, which means when you move your arm, the breast can move. So if you've ever seen a really wide cleavage, it's probably the muscle, the implants are under the muscle and they haven't released the muscle properly and get very wide cleavage. So that might look different. You might look at that and think, crikey, they look like they're under the muscle because they're really wide. And when she moves her arm, they move. So that looks, you know, that can make it look different. So they can look different if you get a problem, but not everybody with implants under the muscle gets animation deformities or a wide cleavage or implants sitting high. It's just more of a risk. So there are risks that you can get them looking different, i.e. high, wide and animation deformities under the muscle or rippling over the muscle. But we always aim to make the right judgment and make the right choice and for you to not get problems, whichever one you choose. But there are risks with either. So. It depends on how much cover you've got. If you've got enough of your own natural cover and you're not going to get rippling and feel the edges of the implant, then over the muscle um, would be better because you wouldn't have the risk of the high, wide and elevation deformities. If you haven't got enough tissue, then you might feel more comfortable taking on the risks of the high, wide and elevation deformities because you're more worried about rippling. I hope that has uh, helped answer it but you cannot tell by looking if it all looks good that's the point if it all looks good happy days they look the same but if it all looks rippled and looks awful then you might say flipping heck should have had those under the muscle well there was probably a reason they didn't put them under the muscle see above you know animation etc Seely, i know i see boobs are this complex yes Seely, you don't realize it years of experience this is Seely, right sitting right here years of experience didn't come overnight you know mm. as a surgeon do you have a preference um that's a good question kim and i think i'm going to probably answer that by saying i do both so i do do both and when it needs one i'll do that one or the other but I guess in answer to your, I think you're right actually to ask the question because I think some surgeons do prefer one versus the other. And I would probably say I prefer on top of the muscle. And I use um, what's called a subfascial plane. And just to put it into context, because I think a lot of people will look, there's a lot of stuff out there on the internet is from America. And in America, they are using um, saline implants. They are using a lot more smooth implants than we do. And saline implants and smooth implants are much more likely to ripple than silicone implants or, or textured silicone or polyurethane particularly. And so they're much more likely to put them underneath the muscle. So if I use a smooth implant, I would put it under the muscle. Uh, I use quite a lot of polyurethane implants and they ripple less. So um, I do prefer subfascial, but again, if I'm using a smooth implant, if you're worried uh, about ALCL, which is probably the main reason for using smooth implant, then um, then I would, would be much more likely to put it underneath the muscle. So it is a little bit complex, but a simple answer to your question, yes, I would um, say that I would prefer a subfascial placement based on the 
type of implant I use, but if you're very slim, if you can see your rib cage, if anyone who can see your rib cage, I'm like, if I can see your rib cage, if you can't hide your ribs, I'm not going to be able to hide this implant. So you're going to be able to see the implant if I put it on top of muscle. So those are the sort of people I do it under the muscle on. on. So, wow, good questions, insightful questions tonight, people. I mean, not like usual. That's brilliant. Joking. It's always good. All right. Um, don't start writing in. Okay. Um, right. Can you move on that one? Can I have a breast argumentation? A breast argumentation surgery. Okay. Right. Is that anything? I think that's probably similar to a breast augmentation. Breast argumentation. I'm going to gloss over the children fighting next door. I'm going to gloss over it because I'm not sure if you can hear. So I probably shouldn't bring attention to it. Breast argumentation surgery if I have a pacemaker. Blimey. Who's asked this? Has someone got a pacemaker who wants a breast argumentation? Um, um, well, I think it would. I'll tell you what. Well, let me start by saying what the problems of people with a pacemaker and breast argumentations are with the surgery in general. A pacemaker is a metal box in your chest. And when you're doing breast argumentation, you're using something called monopolar diathermy, which means you've got a little point, a little metal point, which passes an electrical current to a big metal plate, which is usually on your thigh. And the current goes from the point to the metal plate on your thigh, and it burns and buzzes and cuts all the tissues. And so you have this big metal plate on the thigh to dissipate the energy. If you have some metal somewhere else and it would preferentially go to the other piece of metal, the energy would go to that piece of metal. And if it's a smaller piece of metal, it can burn you. It doesn't burn because there's a big metal plate on your thigh. But if you had a piercing, for instance, um, that's why we always worry about piercings. That's what we worry about. So um, I've had patients with dermal anchors, you know, there's piercing in the chest, which was a bit of a worry. But it, as it turns out, it was fine. We just put the metal plate here. But a pacemaker is part of the metal box. The other thing you worry about is the electrical activity. It would depend on the type of pacemaker because the electrical activity of the um, monopolar diathermy might interact or affect the pacemaker. So definitely have to speak to the pacemaker doctor, exhibit A, number one, and probably have to do surgery with what's called bipolar diathermy, where the, the, the electrical current goes between the two prongs of a pair of forceps. And it's much safer in terms of pacemakers. Um, but it'd be quite tough to do a breast argumentation under uh, with a bipolar. So um, I'm not going to say no, but I'm going to say maybe not. Uh, I'd have to look into it. I'd have to talk to an anaesthetist, have to talk to your pacemaker doctor to see, um, you know, whether we have to turn the pacemaker off. Uh, and we probably want them maybe to come to, you know, depends on what you need it for, whether it's pacing all the time or if it's just pacing some of the time um you know whether it could be t turned off for a period of time that's obviously would that would address the electrical side of things and then the second side of things is the fact that there's a metal box there that could be um could be a burn risk from the bike for the monopolar oh that was a tricky one i wish i practiced that a bit um so i'm going to say i'm not going to say no but i'm going to say maybe not you know there's definitely going to be an extra level of complexity there so we've got to ask ourselves you know, you've got to ask yourself, you know, how, how, do I go ahead with surgery or do I 
think about not having schedule. But that's a good question, that one that stumped me a bit there. Um, are British surgeons offered COVID-19 tests prior to surgery? Who's asking this? Is this some, some non-British person? Yes, they are. Um, yep, they are. Yep, we are offering um, COVID-19 tests prior to surgery. True. Yes. What more do I say? Yeah, I think we, um, we want you to have a negative test prior to surgery. Uh, for the local anaesthetic case I do at the clinic, we don't do COVID tests. But for local installation and for GA cases, there will be a COVID test. Yeah. Can I expand on that as well? Mm -hmm. um, after a tummy tuck, when can we expect to see our full results? Our full results. Well, I normally say it starts at around three months. Starts to settle. Because to, to start off with the first few weeks, it's swollen. It's funny feelings all over the place. The scar's really obvious starts around three months even at three months the scar is probably still still going to be a bit obvious it's variable sometimes the scars settle really well sometimes it's really obvious at six months you know or even eight months but um normally starts around three months six months thought of side settle i'm going to be if i have to put a number on it if you're pushing me on this i'm going to say 12 months 12 months for when you can expect to see your full results after a tummy tuck you heard me 12 months yeah that's right one year it's a big deal a tummy tuck it takes a long time by full results i mean the scars really start to fade now sensitivity sensations coming back there might still always be a bit of persistent numbness in the area but coming back feeling a lot more normal you know obviously the swelling would have gone down the swelling around the sort of three month mark you know in terms of swelling and shape and stuff so you'll obviously have an idea of where you're going to be but in terms of the scar properly settling and you know, things like doggies and little bumps and bulges and things. They did take a good few months to fade, to settle. So 12 months is like real proper full on, three months for when it really starts. Three to 12 months, didn't I say that for another question? Was that doing another operation after, yeah, um, after GA? How long after breast uplift can I wear an underwired bra? Uh, well, first thing with this sort of question is talk to your surgeon because I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get some surgeon coming around to my house saying, you told my patient to wear a bra and I, you know, at six weeks and I do it, at, you know, six months, I think. So talk to your surgeon because by definition, you're obviously quite soon after surgery. Otherwise, you wouldn't be asking the question. If you haven't had surgery or if you're a long time after the surgery, then well, just wear a bra because... You're obviously soon post off, aren't you? Hmm? By process of deduction. So talk to your surgeon is my first answer to that. My second answer to that is in my practice, I normally say that the bra can irritate your um, scar. So I normally say after about four to six weeks, if you want to, you can, uh, because the scar will be starting to um, to, to settle, but um, it will still be quite obvious and quite uncomfortable, and you might find that it irritates. And if it irritates, go back to your sports bra. So um, I normally say, you know, some kind of supportive bra day and night for a month, and then see how you feel. So four to six weeks, you can see how you feel, and if it feels okay, fine. But if it doesn't, then um, you might want to go back to your supportive bra. Like I said a minute ago, 
um, swelling and all that. I know it was tummy tuck, but similar principle. Three months before it really starts to settle, but I think it's quite a big deal to say to people you've got to wear a sports bra for three months or a post-op bra for three months. So I normally say it's a bit of a compromise for six weeks, um, sort of halfway there, and then you can start wearing normal bras if you want. But it, it often is a bit uncomfortable, and you might want to um, you might want to go back to your post-op bra. Guys, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna um, I don't want to over egg the pudding, but I've only got uh, SJ Smallpage. Good evening, good evening SJ. Um, I've only got in my bank of questions. I've only got I've done that one, haven't I? I've only got one question left. So there's an there's an opportunity to put your question to a you know pretty. Pretty knowledgeable guy sitting here, you know, even though I do so myself. Anything about breast implants and stuff, skin tags, bras, you name it. Just ask Sal Monica, she knows. Um, should I be in pain after having BBA in February? I did, here we go. I did have quite, quite significant sized implants and have a small frame. Could it be this? Um, well, it could be that, yes. Um, also, that also suggests to me you're not my patient because quite significant size implants in a small frame doesn't sound like my bag, but you might be. So if you <laughs> take that back, if you are my patient. But anyway, um, no, yeah, February. Yeah, I think that's quite a long time. Seven, seven, seven months, is it? Yeah, I don't. I think pain. If you mean pain. I mean, you think you might still be getting a bit of discomfort and things like that, but uh, pain is, 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 you know, I wouldn't expect pain seven months post-op. Um, as I say, things start to around three months. The pain is, I think, usually for the first few weeks, to be quite honest with you, in terms of a BBA, a breast augmentation, um, it's usually only painful for a few weeks. Um, I have had a couple of patients with persistent pain. And they've been with the polyurethane implants. Whether it's something to do with the polyurethane foam and the integration with the scar tissue, I don't know. But um, and I've had one patient who I actually had to remove the implants. Full disclosure, she was in a lot of pain, a lot of discomfort, and I wasn't happy about it because I thought, I don't know, can it be the implants causing the pain this long down the line? I don't think maybe there's some other cause for the pain. You know, you should be looking at your breast and check there's nothing wrong with your breast, etc. Anyway, it transpired that she actually went on to have the implants removed. Boom, no more pain. So it obviously was the implants. But, you know, very uncommon. But, you know, the longer you live, the more uncommon things you see. So um, that was um, so yeah, not unheard of, but a little bit unusual. If I'm your surgeon, come back and see me. If I'm not, go back and see your surgeon or at least give your surgeon a ring or contact your surgeon and say, look, I'm still in pain. Um, just to make sure there's nothing going on because obviously there's a breast there as well and you've got to make sure there's no problems with the breast tissue or there's no problems with the implant or something you know but it is a little bit unusual as long as you mean pain i mean if it's discomfort then i'd be less but still seven months is a long time let's be honest here yeah speak to your surgeon uh that's what i like to see facebook stepped up instagram take a leaf facebook's asked a couple of questions just saying um Three have just come in. Okay, we've got just as I've spoken, three questions coming on Facebook. Facebook kicking off. Very isn't it? Sometimes Instagram kicks off. But anyway, I'll take it. I'll take it where I can get it. You know. Um, hi JJ. 
Uh, when having an arm lift, how much improvement can be made to the fatty pad at the elbow? Will this be eliminated completely? Thank you. Great question. This is the sort of question we want because we want people to be informed prior to surgery. You need to ask these questions prior to surgery. For them to say, don't ask it afterwards and say, well, I had this big lump on my elbow. Um, Nicole, depends who's doing the surgery. Obviously, full disclosure speaks for the surgeon. If I'm your surgeon, I would say that not much will be done to the fatty pad at the elbow. I'm afraid to say, Nicole, I don't want to, I don't want to be negative. Um, I mean, I have to look what you're talking about, but basically when you do an arm reduction, scar, and so because the scar stops just above the elbow, that's where you take the tissue out. So you don't take any tissue out above the elbow. What happened there? Um, you don't take any tissue out distal to the past the scar. So you can undermine and you can have a go if there is a fatty pad there at the elbow. If it's here, if it's here, you can have a go at it. You can go past where you do the skin excision. So you're not going to be able to take any skin excision out. So you might be able to take some fat out if there is a fatty pad there. But you're not going to be able to take any skin out. And the worry is if you do have a bit too much skin, a bit redundant skin, then you can get a bulge, you can get a dog ear, a bump, which is a risk with an arm reduction. Um, and so... That is tricky. So we'd have to look at what you're talking about, Nicole. Oh, blimey, did I just, did I just yawn on live TV then? Did I? No, I think I did. No. Um, you must be saying something. Is that one of the things on the radio? You know, that big gap? And then they just come back on as if nothing happened. You think, is that my radio? Or, anyway, is that a big gap? Anyway. Um, so push on, that's what the pros do. So I would worry, Nicole, I would worry, and I think you need to be examined by your surgeon and you need to be proper discussion of what's happening with this fatty pad at your elbow. Because in my experience, it's hard to do stuff at the elbow because you don't want the scar to cross the elbow. So you want a scar to stop above the elbow and where the scar stops, the skin excision stops. Wow, there's a strap line right there. Write it down. Where the scar stops, and the skin excision stops. That is, huh? Anyway, um, so there'll be no more skin excision. So as I say, they, 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 they we, I, you, we, we could go under the skin and either take out that fatty pad by directly taking it out or doing a bit of liposuction, but it won't take any skin out. So if it is a big fatty pad, there might be some redundant skin. So then, you know, again, needs to have a discussion with the surgeon. If it's a big fatty pad, we may be looking at. Do we extend the scar? But as I say, not great to extend the scar past the elbow. <clears throat> that needs to be sorted, Nicole, before you go into surgery. So you make sure you're happy with your result because you have to be um, aligned with what's possible rather than coming out saying, oh, why have I still got a bulge there? And then they explain it all to you and you're like, well, could have told me that before. Excuse me. Kim. Are breast implants designed to last or will you go saggy again eventually? Good question, Kim. Now, Kim, you will go saggy again eventually. And probably the problem, Kim, is not the implant. The implant is blameless. The implant sits there and will just do what it's told. It just sits there, doesn't do anything. What happens is your breast goes saggy, not the implant. And so over time, your breast will go saggy. The two things you can do to accelerate that is to have children and to put on and lose weight, weight fluctuations, putting on and losing weight, both 
having children and putting on losing weight stretches the skin and makes them go sagging quicker. But even if you don't do those things, gravity works on us all and they will sag. So your breasts will sag. The implants won't, but the problem is when you've got implants in, if the implants don't sag and your breasts do sag, you can have implants here, breasts falling off them, not a good look. So yes, your breasts will sag and that might be an issue, uh, not so much the implants. So uh, so they are the implants are designed to last. The implants are designed to, but the problem is if your breasts fall off them, you might want to have something done. What's your opinion on money makeovers? I think, Claire, that it, they are good. And I think a lot they suit a lot of people. Not everybody, because they're a big op. By the way, for those viewers who don't know what a mummy makeover is, it's a tummy operation and a breast operation done at the same time. So a tummy tuck and a breast lift or a tummy tuck and a breast reduction or breast implants or whatever. Um, and it's a good option for a lot of people, but it's not for everybody because it is a big op operation. But if you do know you want tummy and breast done, then um, there's a lot to be said for it because it's one period off work. So I think a lot of people will like that uh, that one recovery period and will prefer one big hit. Um, a little bit of an issue at the moment with any surgery, but particularly the bigger surgery, there's a bit of um, bit of thing about whether we can do them. But <clears throat> but I think in principle, mummy makers are a good mummy makers are mummy makeovers are good for people in the right for uh, uh, the right people. I wouldn't force it on anyone, but if you want both done, suits a lot of people. But a lot of people are too much, well then fine, you can stage it, no problem at all. Nikki needs compression, needs advice on compression garments and fineness. Will you recommend someone want to see you next week? It's a minefield. Nikki, don't worry about it. Do not worry about it. I'm seeing you next week, am I Nikki? Yes, um, but it's not a big deal, Nikki. You know what? It's not a big deal. What are we talking, Nikki? Talk to me. Are we talking breast? Are we talking uh, abdomen? I'm assuming we're talking abdomen because breast, we probably call it a bra rather than a compression garment, although it is doing the same job as the abdominal one. So I'm assuming we're talking abdomen. So um, if, and I'm so, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say we're talking tummy tuck. Might be way offline, but let's, oh, we are, Nikki. Yeah, tummy tuck. So yes, so tummy tuck. Um, do not worry about it, Nikki. You don't have to, don't go into it, is my own. You can go into it if you want, and we will go into it because you've asked the question, but I won't worry too much about it. Um, first of all, you will have a, we will put you in a, a garment when you come out of theatre, so you don't have to worry about it. There are broadly speaking two types that we use. One is like a corset with hooks and eyes and a zip and a gusset. A uh, bit of a pain with the drains because the drains come out of the middle and the gusset doesn't go up and things like that. So it can be a bit of a pain, a bit of a pain going to the loo and things like that. So a bit of a palaver, but um, but that is what one type. The other type is like a big Velcro thing, which sort of Velcro's across. A little bit easier in terms of getting it on and off and and, uh, and what have you. So certainly in the early post-operative period, maybe the Velcro one's a little bit easier than the gusset and the hooks and eyes one, which can be a bit uncomfortable to take on and off again in the early post-operative period because you're quite uncomfortable now um i think so they're good for swelling that's the main thing they help with the swelling and uh so i think they're good so i normally tell people to wear them day and night for a month um and you can mix and match between the two uh, depending on what's comfortable and i um also say to people particularly in the hot weather which they're probably you know coming out of that now 
But um, if you don't like them, if it's uncomfortable, just wear big pants. You know those big pants that you wear, the sort of big, bigger hugging, hugging body control things. Um, and a lot of people say, well, I'm not wearing big pants. I'm just paying for a tummy tuck. That's why I'm having a tummy tuck. So I don't have to wear big pants. It's just for while it's swollen, just for the first few weeks, maybe a couple of months, just while it's swollen. So just wear what's comfortable for you. Uh, if you if you find that the garments and the compression um, garments we give you and the binders we give you are uncomfortable, then fine. What you do, and they're for support, Nikki. They're for support. They are not for so. I, I would call it more support than compression. Actually, you know, they're not really. You don't want to have a big line when you take it off and big swelling above it and a red mark. And, you know, sometimes people even have ulceration because we put it on in theatre and then it's really tight and they can't breathe. And they're like, oh, my God. And you take it off and you think, why didn't you loosen it? Like, well, I didn't want to loosen it because that's how you put it on in theatre. You're like, well, we don't, you know, we just put it on. You know, you by all means loosen it, adjust it. You've got to be um, comfortable. So it's it's support garment is what I would call it rather than compression. Um, but again, that's me, I think. People are different, and some people can be a bit, um, what's the word, um, sort of strict about them. Um, so you better do well. Actually, I was going to see what your surgeon says, but I'm looks like I'm the guy. Well, at least you come and see me next week. We can definitely wrap about it next week, Nikki. But I'm probably not going to have a great deal more than that to say about it. But don't accept to say don't worry about it too much. Claire Suzanne back in the house. Is it bad news traveling more for surgery? Oh, Claire Suzanne. What do you want me to say about that, Claire Suzanne? Bad news. I mean, I don't advise it. Let me let me let me put it that way. I don't advise it, and I don't advise it both ways, Claire Suzanne. I don't advise people from here going abroad, but I don't advise people abroad coming here. You know, I get people who call me up from God knows where. You know, other parts of Europe and America and things, and I like you know, see you if you want, but I tell people not to travel. I don't think you should travel. I think you should look for someone locally. There'll be very good surgeons locally. So, you know, I, I think there's several reasons not to travel abroad for surgery. And if you really want to know why, that's why, yeah, this guy right here has written a book, okay? Uh, and I've talked about it in the book. Uh, Never accept a lift from strangers, how to choose the best plastic surgeon for your cosmetic breast surgery. Um, and, and, you know, you don't, it's the training's variable overseas, but also the, um, Kim, the, um, travel, you don't want to travel. Travel increases your risk of DVTs, of PEs. Um, so you've got more risk of complications. Got the booking, Kim, proud of me. Didn't even, you didn't have to tell me, huh? It eases marks in malarkey. I've got a book on it. Yeah, it says show the book when, huh? Marketing. Yeah. Right. So um, that's that's the sort of spontaneous publicity we need, and also I've just publicised that book as well. So I want a bit of um, acknowledgement, please, uh, from the person who wrote that book. Um, so travelling is not good. Good um, increase your risk of complications. But also, uh, Claire, I think what you've got to look at is the aftercare. And it's a bit like insurance. You know, you only know if it's any good until you use it. You know, a lot of people, when they're getting insurance, will just basically look for the cheapest insurance quote they can possibly find because you've got nothing else to base it on. 
you know, I, th I think insurance companies could do a lot better in explaining why there is such a huge variation in different insurance quotes. I think they don't do that's, you know, they need to, you know, if any insurance company out there need a bit of small business marketing advice from this guy, he's read a book on small business marketing. So, you know, I don't think insurance companies do a very good job. And the reason being, you need some reassurance that you're paying, it's worth you paying more before you take out the insurance. Otherwise, you're just going to base it on price. I think that's the problem with a lot of cosmetic surgery. People don't have anything else to go on. So they're like, well, that's a thousand pounds. That's 10,000 pounds. Might as well have the thousand pound one. Just get the cheapest one. I'm still going to get a set of implants or something. I don't know. You might not be able to get a set of implants to a thousand pounds. I'm exaggerating, but you know, you can certainly get it a lot cheaper, but you, um, you know, there are, there are several reasons. And one of them, you've got to look at what sort of aftercare they're going to be offering you, what sort of um, what you do if you have an issue, have a problem, have a question, have a concern. Um, and, you know, it's just a pain if you have to go board again. Um, so I'm not saying it's bad news because I know a lot of people do it, but I don't recommend it. But you might say you would say that because, you know, you want people to have surgery here. But having said that, I do say it to people who, even if someone rings me from Edinburgh, from Essex, you know, um, from Cornwall, from Devon, I actually saw someone in the clinic this week, or was it last week, uh, who came up from Devon. So, you know, uh, I do say it both ways. I do say people who live far away from me, look, there's some really good plastic surgeons in Devon. Um, uh, and there are really good plastic surgeons in Edinburgh. And there are really good plastic surgeons in Essex. And I would recommend that you go and see one of them because if you come and see me and then you have an issue and you have a bit of a dog here and something, I'll say, yeah, come in and fix it. And you're like, well, I'm in Essex, I'm three hours away. It's just difficult for both of us. I mean, we can do this sort of thing, but, you know, it's just a lot easier if you're down the road. So um, that's my view, Claire Sajan, but you have to make a judgment on it. I understand cost is an issue. I understand. I live in the same world that you live in. Cost is an issue. So you have to make a judgment. And I think we have to, all I feel that we can do as, as plastic surgeons is try and uh, explain the sort of service that we give and the sort of aftercare we give and what you can expect if you come and see us. And that is the job of the other places to do it. If they do as good a job as us, then go for the cheaper one, you know? But if you think that there's reason, there's a benefit in paying more, um, because you think you might get looked after more or this training or the expertise or the experience might be worth uh, investing more money in, then do that. But uh, it's it's a balanced judgment, Claire, and that's something only you can answer, but uh, I would advise against it. This is a true I wanted to come and you. This is true. I wanted to come and you said, for goodness sake, there's good surgeons in Wales. See, Kim has um, backed up that. Kim, I said that to Kim. Um, so thank you, Kim. Yes, there are great surgeons in Wales. I've worked in Wales and there are fantastic surgeons in Wales. Brilliant. How far would you say is the furthest? I'm in Leicester. Leicester's not the furthest. Uh, Rosalina. Um, you know what, Rosalina? I'm, you know, I have treated people from far away. Um, I, have, I have treated people from far away. I have treated people from overseas, um, from quite far overseas and from quite far in this country. So I'm not saying I won't do it, but I do say to them, 
you're better off. They might have a reason in their country they're not trusting the health service, and they some people say, look, I go to America or UK, and you know we're equidistant, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and they'll come back if there's a big, big issue. All these sorts of things. So we have it's, it's about having the conversation. So I will see people unless it's not far at all, but I will see people from other parts of the country. But I will also say to them, look, what about X? Wales, Hugh, what about my buddy Hugh, Mr. Hugh, H-E-I-E-W, great guy, works in Wales, will look after you, fantastic plastic surgeon, give him a go. If he's if he don't get on with him or if he can't help you and you want me to have a, you know, to talk to you, I'd be very happy to talk. So Rosalina, I'd be very happy to see you in um, Leicester. I'm trying to think who I know in Leicester. <laughs> this is me outsourcing work, isn't it? Um, Ni Yi is my friend in Leicester. I don't know, I think he's a hand surgeon. Ni Yi, N G is his first name, and then Y I I, Ni Yi. Um, lovely guy. Um, but yes, so I will, I will see people, but I would also say look at your local, um, look at your yellow pages, look at your local surgeons, look at the local base, look at the NHS hospital locally, who works there. And there you, they're going to be fully trained plastic surgeons. Now, I don't work in an NHS hospital, but I did. I used to. So an, a fully trained plastic surgeon who either works in or has worked in as a full-time NHS substantive consultant plastic surgeon will be fully trained. And there are lots of us about. I am just one. Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.